0: One of my pet peeves in life is leaving money on the table. My poor family has to put up with my obsessive compulsive nature when it comes to this. Because not only do I research things real heavily before I buy them, for some crazy reason, I continue to research after I buy them to make sure that I didn't pay too much. And if I find out I paid you a know, dollar too much for an automobile, it's gonna bother me for a long time. Well, it could be argued that leaving money on the table is not the end of the world, but the real problem in life is leaving life on the table. We talk about living a life without regrets, and for me, the quintessential definition of a regret is leaving life on the table. And you might be interested to know that Jesus talks about that, and that's what this series is about. I wanna make a point culturally before we get started today, and that is that we hear a lot about shaming and victimization. Well, I would hope that I'm the most affirming person that you know, and I do believe that it's important for us to have a discussion about shaming because it's an awful thing. I think it's important for us to have a talk about victimization because there are too many victims in our culture today, and so, so much of that is legitimate. However, in our culture today, a lot of it is not. It's almost like we're making a cottage industry out of being a victim in life. And I just wanna make sure that we understand going into this series that correction is not shaming, and challenge is not victimization. There's a, America's developing a soft, doughy middle with our kids. It's, it's really understandable if, you, if you're looking at an athletic competition among five-year-olds to give every kid a trophy, but there's an age when that's no longer appropriate because that's just not how life works. And so I wanna talk about that today. It's getting bizarre out there because we have so-called safe spaces in universities where supposedly the best and broadest young people, who are readying themselves for life's challenges, can hide from anything they don't want to hear, that is going to create a class of unhireables. I want to say that one more time: the idea that you you can take what is supposedly the best and brightest, who are readying themselves for a life of success, and tell them that they can be in a zone where they don't have to hear anything they don't want to hear it's going to be just a group of basically unhirable people and the reason why I teach this today is what I do outside this building is somewhat limited but I understand I have not been called to change the culture but I have been called to speak into your life and here at New Spring we tend to be a young church uh, with almost two thousand kids on a weekend so Consequently, I'm very concerned. I want them to be successful. And I want to give you as parents tools from God's word to help your kids prepare for the next generation. I do worry, and and that is my spiritual gift. I'm joking, of course. I do worry that America's kids from this generation are not going to be able to compete in the global marketplace. And it's important for us to hear that message culturally, but it's very important for us to hear it from a biblical perspective. The fact of the matter is... Life is about challenges, and success is all about what you do with the challenges. Now, there's a smile forming on my face right now because I know very well where I am. I not only speak in our church, but I also train leaders, and I speak in the corporate world as well. And the interesting thing is when I talk about the essence of what it takes to make a success uh, from a principal standpoint, in the cultural world, I always love watching this because when I get up to speak, you, know, you sort of see everybody kind of lean back in their chair, and, and then all of a sudden you see them... Set up in their chair and then when they lean forward i know gotcha um but um in the cultural world a lot of times or in the secular world when i'm teaching on on leadership and success you know i'll talk about the principles that lead to success and they're leaning forward in the seat the moment i start talking about how this comes from a biblical perspective i watch eyes glaze over now here's what happens when i'm in the church dealing with hyper spiritual people not that we have a whole lot of them but there are people that are in church and I start talking about, you know, spiritual things and the miraculous and the supernatural and they're all into it. When I start talking about what the Bible teaches about practical living, I'll watch their eyes glaze over. The truth of the matter is this, and this is essential that all of us understand this, all truth belongs to God and you need to access it. If I'm talking about biblical spiritual truth about knowing God and theology, well, then that's God's truth, and it's important that we own it. If we're talking about truth in other any other area, then we need to own it as well, because remember this, all truth belongs to God. Mathematic truth comes from God. If you find truth in psychology, some's true, some's not, but truth belongs to God. If you find truth in the cultural business world, that truth belongs to God. It's essential that we get this. So for all of you that are sitting out there and you say, well, Mark, I'm a Christ follower, I want to let you know you still have to obey the law of gravity. Even if you prayed to receive Jesus as your savior, which I pray you have, you still have to to obey the laws of gravity. You say, Mark, I pray every day, but math is still a fact and facts are stubborn things. So I just want to let you know, we're leaving one kind of series and going into a very different kind of series, but that is part of understanding the entire counsel of God. Now, here's the thing. For the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about you times two. I'm always nervous about that title because somebody could say, well, Mark, I'm already pressed to the breaking point and I have no margin. I'm not talking to you about working twice as hard. Some of us need to work twice as hard, but a lot of us are already at the edge. And frankly, in our culture today, it's real easy to get very busy doing things that really don't lead ultimately to meaning in life. So I'm not talking about you doubling your workload. I'm talking about doubling your impact. At the end of the day, we're all going to stand before our Lord. And beyond that, before we stand before our Lord, so much of how we live our lives is going to manifest itself in the way that we've orchestrated our lives, the way that we've led our kids. We're going to see the impact of a lot of our lives even before we go to heaven and we hear directly from the Lord. Now, here's the thing about this series. It's built on one story that Jesus told. And the story that Jesus told is so massive, it's going to take us five weeks to unpack it. Through the years, Mary Alice has pressured me to write. I have ADD, so I have a hard time sitting still long enough. I actually talked to publishers. You know, they—they they, publishers have encouraged me to write. I've always said, if I ever wrote a book, I would write a book on the pr- business principles of Jesus, because Jesus teaches so much about business. And so this is one of the, this is one of those business parables that Jesus teaches. We're going to unpack it starting today, and we're going to learn a whole lot about life, but. What would you sort of like to ask for your permission to do? I'd like to read the whole story because as we go into the story and we start unpacking essential keys, I want you to have read the story so you'll know where we draw these ideas from. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, and here we go. Again, it, Jesus is talking about how the kingdom of heaven works. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent. Kind of interesting that we have the word talent there. Just let's talk about that for a moment so that we'll know what a talent is. A talent is a measurement from Jesus' day that weighed somewhere between 60 and 80 pounds. Scholars don't exactly know what Jesus referred to. I would think that the talent here is a talent of gold. That was a common measurement. So if you wanna know how much a talent is worth, some of you are a little bit more on the analytical side, all you have to do is multiply uh, a talent times 16 as an ounce is in a pound, and then multiply that by Friday's close of gold, and you get the idea that a talent's roughly worth a million dollars, if it indeed it was gold. So here we go. There, one guy got five of these, another guy got two of these, and then one got one talent. Okay, according to his ability. Then the owner went on his journey. Verse 16, the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents, two million, gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. You gave me five million to manage. I managed five million. Now you got 10 million. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Notice that the master refers to his character. In in essence, what the master is saying at this moment of accountability is... I'm, I'm delighted, but I'm not surprised. This is who you are. This is the essence. You are a good servant. You are an equipped, capable servant. And then he said, you are faithful. In other words, you do what you're supposed to do. Well done, good and faithful servant. And then the master said, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. In effect, he is saying, up until this point, you were a steward, you are a manager, but now the sign on your door says partner, and we're going to be talking about profit sharing. Let's move to verse 22. The man with two talents. By this point, he can't wait to give his report. He just saw what happened to his buddy. The man with two talents came and said, Master you entrusted me with two talents, two million. See, I've gained two more. Got four million now. His master replied, notice the verbatim response, even though we were talking about five million extra dollars with the first guy and two million extra dollars with the second guy. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come share your master's happiness. You're now a partner in the business, profit sharing. Then the man who had received the one talent, one million, still it's a lot of money. The one talent came, Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seeds. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. And so here it is. You left me with one million. Here's one million. Didn't lose anything. I want a receipt. Verse 26, his master replied, you wicked lazy servant did you see how he refers to his character the first two guys and he said you're good and faithful to this guy he said you're wicked and you're lazy you knew that i harvest where i haven't sown and gather where i haven't scattered seed. well you should have at least put my money in the bank so that when i return i would have received it back with interest take and this is one of the most interesting parts of the story to me take the million from the unprofitable manager and i'm ready to hear jesus say give it to the guy with four Hey, if you're looking for socialism in Jesus, you're going to be disappointed. If you're looking for egalitarianism in Jesus, you're going to be disappointed. He didn't say, take it. I'm ready to hear him say, take the million from this guy. Give it to the guy with four. But he doesn't say that, does he? He said, give it to the guy with 10. Give it to the top producer. Now, let's look at some keys to understanding Jesus' story, just so that we'll understand. In Jesus' story, number one, the master is God and the servants represent us. So when you read this story, you're talking about God leaving us with resources, leaving us with the resources that are consistent with our capabilities, and then holding us accountable. So the master is God and the servants represent us. Number two, I find this very intriguing. The master's long journey represents our life here on earth. What happened in our life is that God left us with information, and then he is in heaven, and we're waiting for that moment where we reunite. Do you know what trust is? I mean, we could all define trust in different ways, but basically here is the essence of trust. Take the word turn or turning, and we can use it in two different ways. Trust is turning over valuable resources and then turning your back. That is what trust is trust is turning over something valuable and then turning your back and leaving that person with the valuable asset. Listen, if you've ever been married to someone who can't be trusted, you have trusted your well-being. You've hoped that your well-being would be respected, but what you learned is you couldn't turn your back on that person. And so when when you and I think about our life today, Even though God sees everything that we do physically, we're separated from God and he has left us here to live this life, to utilize the resources that he has given us. I've pretty well given away the third point in understanding the story. The talents represent our resources and opportunities. That's important for us to talk about. We'll talk about it again later in the series, but ultimately when you're evaluating your assets, you're given resources, which are talents and tangible possessions, but God has also scheduled opportunities for you. And so if you're going to be blessed and successful in this life, which I know all of us are going to be, your success is going to come back to the gifts that God gave you you originally, and then the opportunities, those divine opportunities that he scheduled to bring you to center stage. So the third thing, the talents represent the opportunities and the blessings. Now, from time to time I talk to blessed people, even within the church, maybe especially within the church. And when I talk about things like being a good stewardship and giving to God's work and sacrificing for the cause of Christ, there are people that say, well, these are my resources, but I want you to notice something. Notice that in this story, these were the owner's servants and the owner's resources that's in verse 14 of chapter 25 again it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property everything i have all my gifts all my talents all my resources those unique opportunities that god schedules in my life they belong to god i belong to god so that's very important for us to recognize number four life is about stewardship could be that stewardship's not a word that we use a lot, but it just simply means management. Life is about us managing the resources that God gave us. Notice that I did not say life is about acquisition, because the average American thinks that it is. The Bible puts it this way. You didn't bring anything into this world, and it's certain you're taking nothing out. You know, you came in with empty hands, you're going to leave with empty hands, As some preacher said a long time ago, you never see hearses pulling U-Hauls, and that's true. So consequently, your life is not about acquiring things. You can leave it all in the box. It's like you know when you put up a board game after you've won at Monopoly, it all goes back into the box. Number five, evaluation. Ultimately, we're going to stand before God and God is going to evaluate us. Evaluation is based on what we do with what we're given. Sometimes we feel superior because we feel like we're accomplishing much more than the people around us, but that's not how God is going to judge us. Others of us feel like failures because we see people who seem to be accomplishing more than we are. You're not in competition with anybody else. You're in competition with yourself because ultimately, as you can see in the story, evaluation is based on what you do with what you're given. One guy got two million, one guy got 5 million. They both doubled. That meant four for one and 10 for another, but they both got the same commendation. And so it is with God. So let's go through those five things one more time because we want to make sure that we understand what Jesus is saying. Number one, the master represents God, the servants represent us. Number two, the master's long journey represents our life here on earth, the talent represents resources and opportunities. Number four, life is about stewardship. And number five, evaluation is based on what we do with what we are given. Today's talk, and this is where we're going to start today. I want to begin with four questions successful people ask now every successful person here whether you've thought about this or not you're going to discover that you ask these questions for me these are things that are almost organic to me i ask myself these questions almost every day of my life but we're starting here every successful person asks herself four questions and so today we're just going to analyze our life to look at these four questions and then we'll be through. I'm gonna to try to end on time last night. I was 10 minutes over both times. This stuff excites me. I wanna, don't you wanna be successful in life? I don't mean rich and famous, but don't you wanna to get to the end of your life and realize you didn't leave life on the table. You made a difference in this world. This world is different because you traveled here and God used you and you leave this life and you think, hey, I'm glad I did what God wanted me to do. That's the kind of success that we're talking about here here is question number one what are my resources when i was in college um, i worked my way through college Um, and by the way we didn't have student loans like we have today i mean they existed but not not as easy as they are today so consequently I, i worked all four years and paid at the beginning of every semester paid my tuition paid for my books there was something about working my way through college that caused me to do something I went to class. You know, I was there in my college, with, and I was a drive-in student, so I had to drive 20 minutes to campus every morning. I, I went, to the, went to a college. A lot of kids were there on daddy's money, And here's what I discovered. A lot of them who lived in the dorms on daddy's money couldn't walk across the campus and be in class on time. I'd had to get up at five o'clock and drive 20 miles, and I was there 30 minutes early. There's something about working your way through that makes a difference. Now, one of the things that I did when I was working my way through college was I sold clothes in a men's clothing store at a mall. And I was a part-time employee. A lot of college students worked at this particular store in the mall. But God blessed me, and I was very things went really well and sold a lot of clothes and so my manager came to me one day and he said you know we pay everybody an hourly rate here but he said you're selling so much he said what what would you you think about going on commission so he kind of showed me the formula and how much more I'd make so I said sounds good to me and so I went on commission now I'll tell you that tell you this there was one day I hated more than any other day of the year and we would close the store at noon and we would count And we would count from 12 noon all the way to 10 o'clock at night. Now, since I was on commission, I wasn't going to make any money that day. And then my ADD hated counting. Now, here's the thing. If you're under 30, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Because today we have all these electronic devices for doing inventory. But back then, inventory meant you had individual sheets of paper with stock number at the top. And you had to count, manually count, every item that you had. It was inventory. I hated that day. But here is the thing. If you want to know what your talents and resources are, you need to close the store today and take inventory. I wrote this in the book, and I want to read it to you. Business is all about math. The numbers at the end of the day only make sense if you have firm numbers at the beginning. Life works the same way. Before you can double your impact, you have to take a look at what you're starting with. Now, what do I mean when I say do inventory in your life and see what your resources are? Think about Jesus' story. The three managers in Jesus' story had two categories of assets, didn't they? They had talents, resources, and they had time. The first was a known commodity. The second was an unknown commodity. They knew how much money they had. What they didn't know was how much time they had. And that's the thing. That's the way it is for you and me. God has blessed us with resources, personal giftedness, and we also have time. Now, it's really important for us to ask ourselves before we get into analyzing our resources, what do we do about the time factor? I'm, I've always been taken by Jesus' story how that two of the guys looked at the unknown factor of time, and how the third, the loser, looked at time. The guy who failed, you know, he, he thought, all I need to do my job is a shovel. And, and consequently, he looked at time, and here's what he said I got time. So he went home, made a sandwich, turned on the television, put his feet up on the recliner, and went to sleep. I've got time. The other two successful guys said, they looked at time and said, we don't know how much time we have. Look at this. This is in Jesus' story. He didn't waste words here in Matthew 25, verse 16. The man who had received the five talents went, what's the next two words? At once. Why? He knew he had five talents. He just didn't know how much time he had. I want to give you some challenging thoughts today, and these are just for you to think about and do with whatever you want to do. Here's thought number one. We probably have more resources than we think we'd have, and we probably have less time than we think we have. You say, Mark, I'm 20 years old. i got plenty of time. Well, okay, but here's what I want to tell you. Old people used to tell me this when I was young. used to agitate the heck out of me, and it may, it may agitate you. Old people used to tell me, hey, the older you get, faster time goes, you know, I didn't. I used to argue with them about the physics of life. I didn't know. That's true. I mean, life goes like that. So even if you wind up having 70, 80, 90 years, it's going to go a lot faster than, than you think it's going to go. So you probably have more resources and less time than you think you have. Strange how we get that backward. I, I, was, I, I wrote this, and I want to read it just like I wrote it because I've watched this throughout my life. In fact, I started to write it by saying most people, and I backed away from that and thought, okay, I'm going to write it and say many people. But deep inside, I think it's most people. Here we go. Many people use up their lives burning time, waiting for resources, only to run out of time while wasting their resources. I cannot tell you how many gifted people who were able to do great things, held back on doing those great things because they were waiting for this moment of perfection where they had resources. And they would burn enormous amounts of time and wind up wasting life, wasting their resources. And in 2018, the culture works against us, doesn't it? You know, we have the nursery complex. We have hundreds of babies here, and so it means we have... Hundreds of parents here, and you—you you guys all understand what a pacifier does, right? You—you you know your baby's crying. You put a pacifier in his mouth or her mouth. They don't get anything out of that pacifier, do they? But they, they keeps them busy. They think it's—it's they, they, it's almost like they're getting something out of it. That's the essence of a pacifier. Well, we say, hey, that's for babies. Our culture today is filled with pacifier effects. We have so many electronic devices in our, uh, in our lives. And I do too. I'm not picking. It's just that we have, we, have, we have all this electronic stuff and it keeps us busy. But it's the pacifier effect. I mean, here's the thing. It's really important to ask ourselves, our busyness, what is it producing? And so it's important for us to understand that we have less time than we think we have. So let's close the store for a few minutes today. What are your resources? The master left all three managers with resources. Well, I think your ultimate resource is your personal giftedness. I mean, all of us have a certain amount of money. We all have a certain amount of uh, natural abilities in life. But I I want to just go to what I believe is most important in your life. And I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, and they may just be different shades of the same question but I think this will help you. Here's the first question I wanna ask you. What is it that comes naturally to you? What can you do naturally? And then I'll ask you the second question, what, do you, what can you do easily? Now, the reason I draw a distinction between those two is that some of us can do natural, naturally things that aren't necessarily easy, it's just they come naturally to us. I really believe that's your most important giftedness in the realm of this world. What comes naturally, what comes easily. Now, I'm not trying to point to myself, it's just I know my life, I know my family. You will know yourself, you will know your family. But let me just give you some things in my own life. All my life, I've never understood it, when I talk people, listen, happened when I was a kid. I don't know why, I'm a shy person, it's always been amazing to me, still amazing to me. But I've always been able to talk people, listen. Number two, all my life, I've been able to explain things and people would say back to me, you have a way of making something complicated simple. I don't see that. First person to tell me that was Mary Alice when we were in high school. Uh, I was a junior and she was a freshman. Here's the interesting thing. Isn't it interesting? You know how many years we've been married? You know where we met? We met in debate. (laughs) What a great place to start a marriage, right? In, In debate class. But it wasn't a structured class, it was a research class, and so we were all on our own. And Mary Alice learned that I was a pastor's kid, although I sure wasn't living like a Christian. But Mary Alice had all these questions about the Bible, so she just put her chair next to mine and started asking me all these questions about the Bible. And never forget, Mary Alice said, you know, you have a way of explaining things that make sense. I don't know why. I think, for one thing, I'm not capable of complexity. But it's always been that case. And then here's something else that's been weird about my life. I I, I freak out. Anxiety is a big part of my life. I can freak out until things get into crisis situations. And whenever a crisis happens, everything slows down for me. And so in a crisis situation, I have a way of analyzing things, becoming very analytical, seeing the bottom line, thinking very clearly. Now, here's the thing. A lot of gifts I don't have. I cannot do anything with my hands that is valuable. You would not want me to hang a picture in your house. You would take the hammer and the nail away from me and say, Mark, go teach somebody something. I mean, it, because it's just not a gift in that area. Now, here's the thing. Think about what God called me to do. God called me to speak. God called me to teach. And God called me to lead in, a, in multiple seasons of challenge and complexity. God structured me. The way he wanted me and he made certain things come naturally to me and come easy to me now it's funny how he puts us together is it? i mean every married person in the room is going to really get a kick out of this isn't it strange how our gifts complement and supplement each other mary Alice doesn't have necessarily those gifts although she's she's good at teaching but mary Alice is good at, at, at analyzing things I mean, Mary Alice loves details. I I don't like minutia. Mary Alice absolutely loves it. I remember when we were in our early 20s. She worked for an oil company in Fort Worth, and this is when computers were bringing in systems that were that were new. and And this particular oil company was bringing in a completely new computer structure. And they were sending Mary Alice to Dallas for three weeks to learn the computer system, come back and teach it for the oil company. She went through the training in two days. That is just her nature. She can, she can absorb massive amounts of data and create a structure. And beyond that, she, she comes from an accounting background. And so I, I, when we were young, she would stay up and do our checkbook. If it was four pennies off, she would stay up all night trying to find those four pennies. I can't tell you how many times I pulled change out of the dish, took four cents to her and said, here, you're square. But with her, it wasn't right till it was right. It's just natural giftedness. Things that come naturally, things that come easily. Which, by the way, this is not, I'm, I'm only going to say this in this service, I think. But you know, if you're married or, or just in friendships or in partnerships or teams, you have to decide whether you're going to let your differences work for you or against you. You know the difference between wild horses and wild jackasses? I'm just asking. do you know the difference? Because if wild horses are under attack, they'll make a circle with their heads in and kick out against their enemies. If wild jackasses are under attack, they'll make a circle with their heads out and kick each other to pieces. I just described a lot of marriages and a lot of teams. But I think I'm only going to tell you that. So that's just that nugget belongs to you. When I think about things that come easily, I think about a conversation that I had with Jonathan when he was a very little kid. Jonathan is naturally gifted with music. And even to this day, if he hears something, he can recreate it. I remember when he was a toddler, he would just start kind of banging on the piano. And was isn't long before he's hunting and pecking for notes on the piano. And after a while, songs started pouring out. And then through the years, there were ruffles and flourishes. But I remember when he was very, very small, I asked him one time, I said, how do you know the notes to play? He said, I don't know. I just do. That is talent. That is the essence of talent. There's just stuff you know how to do. You don't know how you know how to do it. You don't rem- it, happened, it started before the meter of your memory started running, but you just know how to do things. You don't even know why you know how to do it. You don't know why you're good at it, but you just are. It's stuff that comes naturally and stuff that comes easily. Now, here's the thing. Someone could say, well, and and before I go a step further, could I just make the point that we tend to undervalue what comes easily to us? Because it, because it does come easily, we can see a talent that someone else has, and we can, have, we can look at that talent as being really important. But we think, well, what I do, it just comes naturally for me, and we can undervalue it. One of the things that I'm called in to do often is help churches replace their senior leader. And oftentimes, it's a senior leader who's been there for a long time. And so I'm having a team reach out to me and ask me, first of all, do I have any recommendations? And then they want me to recommend a process through, where they can, through which they can find a senior leader. Here's the first thing I always tell, and I haven't just told this to churches. I've, I remember a corporation that was replace, replacing their CEO a couple years ago, and I was, repla- I was advising them the same thing. Always beware of what he makes or what she makes look easy. Because they'll always presume that the next leader will have that. And they'll undervalue what looks easy. So I want to just let you know, it's important not to undervalue. It's not false modesty. You know, it's not, or it's not pride to be honest about your strengths. Here's the second thing I want to say real quickly about that. When you inventory your resources, it's important not to look over your shoulder at the other guys. Because notice in Jesus' story, one guy got five talents. One guy got two. One guy got one. And oftentimes we look over our shoulders like, well, I don't know why I'm not gifted like she's gifted. I don't know why I'm not gifted like he's gifted. Or it can work the other way. Sometimes we feel more gifted than other people. God knows how much capacity we're able to manage. Now, here's where I need to be really, really honest with you. A long time ago, I saw myself in this story. I am the quintessential two-talent guy, and I'm at peace with that. I'm never gonna be a five-talent guy. I'm not a one-talent person, but I'm a two-talent person. And and so what I have to understand is that God knew how much capacity I was able to manage, and throughout my life, I've been determined to do the most that I could with those two-talent gifts. Now, here's the thing. Think for a moment. If you're a five-talent person, and many of you are, Realize this, that you don't need to feel superiority. It's just that God gave you an immense talent package because God is gonna give you immense opportunities and challenges. And so think about this. If he had given the five talent guy one talent, he would have been bored. If he gave the two talent guy five talents, he would have been overwhelmed. And so it's really critical that whatever your gift package is, if you're given immense gifts, it's important not to feel superiority. If on the other hand, you're like me and you're given two talents, it's important not to feel a sense of inferiority. Question number two. Question number one, take inventory. What what are your resources? Here's question, second question that successful people ask. How do I steward my resources to achieve the objectives that matter? Now. This is really important. I won't spend a lot of time on this one because we'll talk about this next week. Next week is one of the most important messages I'll ever bring to parents and grandparents. It's called develop your dream, follow your plan. We live in a world in which kids are told to follow their dreams. It's cosmically wretched advice. We'll talk about why next week. And we'll talk a lot more about how do we steward our resources to achieve the objectives. But in Jesus' story, notice that they didn't just have resources, they had to put them in motion. The failure, the guy who failed, he had a million dollars to manage. The problem with it is he didn't put it into motion. Now that's the question for us today. How do we put into motion, into this world that God has placed us in, into the church, into our family? These personal gifts, these things that come naturally, these things that come easily, it's not for me just to sit and say, wow, look at me, I have all these gifts. The question is, how do we put them into motion? See, the weird thing about this is, there are a lot of five-talent people who don't achieve anything because they have the gifts, but they don't put them in motion. There are a lot of two-talent people who change the world because they put their gifts into motion. And so the question for us today, question number two, how do I steward my resources and by the word steward, I mean how do I leverage them? How do I put to work the resources that God has put in my life? How do I put them into motion? Here's challenging, the next challenging thought. Now that I've evaluated my personal gifts, have I put them into motion? Now, I want to talk to a sp- specific person here today. You say, Mark, I know what my gifts are, and I've, I've tried to put them into motion, but I still feel like my gifts are underutilized. Now, that's not something to worry about. Because if you say, Mark, I just feel like my gifts are not recognized in the world. It's God managing his timetable. Because sooner or later, God will bring the opportunity that calls for your giftedness. See, here's the thing. He wouldn't give you the opportunity before you developed your gift package, because it would be wasted. So what oftentimes God allows us to do is to develop our giftedness so that when the opportunity comes, we'll be ready for it. One of the greatest examples of this, and I love this story, I don't need to introduce Dell Poor to you. You know he is the resident genius here at New Spring who oversees all of the set designs. And Dell has had everything in this stage, and when you saw the set design for Clash of Dynasties, it was amazing. He's had a quarter size 737 hanging over my head. Uh, we've had a 25-foot-long helicopter, a monster with animatronic eyes, a 60 Corvette. I mean, it, he's, he's done over 100 sets to support series here at New Spring that are amazing. If you walk through the kids' building and you see his theming there that's Disney-esque, I mean, a lot of Dell stuff belongs in the Guggenheim. just simply said, He's been featured in a magazine for the work he's done at NewSpring, and leaders come from all over the country to look at his processes. He makes it all out of styrofoam, pennies on the dollar of what we couldn't afford at any price. Now, here's what's significant about all that. When Dale was a teenager, he approached his sister-in-law, who's my personal sister, and he showed her some drawings that he had made, and Sherry was blown away with his artwork, and she said, Dale, these are fantastic, but he looked down and sadly said, yeah, but you can't have a career doing this kind of thing. I mean, those of us who don't know what we would do without, and we look at that and we smile. See, here is the thing. He had an asset. He felt it was underutilized at that time, but God was going to bring that opportunity. So if I'm talking to anybody here today and you say, Mark, I feel like I am gifted and I want to put these things in motion to change the world, God's going to bring the opportunity to you. I've got six minutes left for two questions, and I'm about to enter now the one that I feel is personally feel is the most important. You guys need to know that not only do I speak, but I also lead my job. <laughs> for years, I've, I've, I've communicated my job in sports terms. One day a week, I'm starting quarterback, or a day and a half, I guess, since we have Saturday services. One day a week, I'm starting quarterback. The other five days, I'm head coach. So I lead a team. I'm, I'm a leader. And, and as a leader, as one who has hired a number of people and managed and led a lot of teams, this question is vitally important to me. You ready? This is a huge one. How do I sync my goals with larger purposes to achieve success? A moment ago, I told you follow your dream by itself is wretched advice. Here's what I'm concerned about, especially for young adults. They've been trained, they've been taught from the very beginning of life that life is about following your dream your dream. Consequently, if you go to work in a place, it's all about your dream. As long as what you're being asked to do by the company supports your dream, that is fine. When it doesn't support your dream, you can check out. I want to tell you, that is the last thing. I mean, it's certainly what you don't want in an employee. Life is all about knowing what your dream is, but syncing it up with a larger dream and a larger purpose. Because if all it is, is our dream, then failure is a foregone conclusion Now, real quickly, I want to say something. I don't mean by that that you shouldn't have personal goals and personal ambitions. These, all three of these guys did. And here's what's important. Just work with me, please. I know this has got to be like drinking out of a fire hose. But the master understood they had personal goals. And you see that coming out in the reward. He said to them, you're going to get greater compensation, you're going to be partners, you're going to have profit sharing. So it wasn't, it wasn't like the owner wanted to treat them like slaves. He understood they had personal ambitions. But the only reason those personal ambitions were ever fulfilled is because they synced up their personal dream with a bigger dream, which was the dream of the master. Now, let's talk about that for just a few moments. For most of us, we're going to work for an organization we're going to work for a company. Life only works if you're able to take your personal giftedness and sync it with your company's giftedness. When that doesn't happen, here's what people say. They'll say things like this. It's only a job. Let me tell you, let me tell you what troubles me. A lot of times I, I meet people who say, well, it's just a job, you know, I'm just, I'm just working, you know, it's an hourly job, and it's not really what my calling is, but, you know, I, it's just a job. Now, when I get my dream job, then I'm going to bring my A game. That's not how life works. People who bring their A game, they, they bring their A game if they're flipping hamburgers or if they're running a corporation. See, life is about syncing your goals with a bigger goal. Now, I've I've talked about this to people before. It's like, oh, Mark, you know what? I'm not going to work for a company. I'm going to work for myself and start my own company. Every small business entrepreneur knows how silly that statement just is. Because here's the thing. When you go into small business, you're not just serving a company. Now you're serving the marketplace. So it's not like I can do anything I want to do. Now you have to deal with the marketplace. The fact of the matter is, this is huge. The more successful you get, the more you have to submit your goal to a greater goal. I had this said to me in a way that I've never forgotten. I'm sure I've told you this story before. If God lets me live, I'll tell you again someday. It's what old people do. <laughs> many, many years ago, I was speaking in Fairfax, Virginia, which is basically in the shadow of the Pentagon. And I got through speaking, and the pastor said to me, there's a couple I want you to meet. And he said, their names are Ron and Linda Henderson. And Ron was at the Pentagon in those days. And he had, in the Air Force, he'd just been pinned with this first star. And he introduced Ron and Linda to me, and Ron said, my first command as, as, a, as a general is going to be McConnell Air Force Base. So that's how I met Ron and Linda. They moved here to Wichita. They were in our church in those days. But Ron was in charm school in the Air Force, and they to—they were, they were rushing him to the top. And he got his second star, and they sent him back to the Pentagon. So I'm back in Fairfax speaking at this church, and Ron and Linda invited me to dinner. This was in the middle 90s, back when the Kosovo thing was flaring up. And so Ron was just kind of talking, he was telling me about what had been going on in his life and he said, you know, I got my superior, my superior phoned me and said, you need to be ready to fly out tonight to Europe. He said, you got six hours to be ready to go. So Ron said he had to rush home, tell Linda what was going on, get his stuff together and be ready to fly out to, to Europe. I think he was there for months. I don't remember how many months he was there, but I think, I wanna say six. He was there for months and he said this, he said, I, got, I could only call Linda one time in the week and I could only talk for 30 minutes. Now, I'm sitting there with my mouth wide open. I'm in shock. Now, Ron's a brilliant, he's with the Lord now. He's a brilliant leader, and he read my mind. He understood that why I was in shock was I could not imagine that a major general would be told he had six hours to leave, not know how long he was going to be there, only call his wife one time, can only talk for 30 minutes. So I sit there with my mouth open, and Ron answered my question before I asked it. Here's what he said. You ready for this, everybody? in our culture really, really needs to hear this. He said, I had more control over my career when I was a second lieutenant than I do now as a major general. He said, there are lots of second lieutenants. There aren't many major generals. For all anyone listening to me today who say, I'm going to go to the top so I can do anything I want to do. You don't understand. The higher you go, the more bosses you have. The more you have to sync up your purpose. I remember we had Christmas luncheon at New Spring with the staff many years ago, and, and I had the staff Christmas lunch in a booth at Amarillo Grill Steakhouse. There were four of us on the staff. Today, there are a 100 of us. I have a 100 bosses today. Anybody here who's thinking you're going to get important so you can do whatever you want to do, life just just doesn't work that way. If you manage, if you hire, let me tell you who you want to get rid of in the next 24 hours. You want to get rid of the person who sees himself as a free agent. He only works for your company for his own purposes and benefits. As long as your company serves his purposes, then he has a reason to be there at the point where he doesn't feel that your company supports his purposes then he checks out see this is the guy in Jesus story who are the two successful stewards they see their interest and the master's interest as coming together the guy who failed saw his master's interest and his interest as separate so consequently it was easy for him to say, I don't, work, I don't like working for you because you're not fair. I mean, this is the thing, and we'll talk about this in the series, is that underproductive people oftentimes are underproductive because they have an attitude. And a lot of that attitude stems from, it's about me. If you want to be successful, you've got to find a way to sync up your dream with a bigger dream. My staff, I'm sure they're tired of me saying this but i've always thought if you want to be a success in life you have to solve a problem or answer a question and everybody who's in small business you understand that everybody's ever started a company you know you're in business because you solve a problem and if you don't solve a problem you don't answer a question there's no way to be successful in life you have to sync up your purpose with a larger purpose i got a lesson on how this works when i was 20 years old i left that clothing store and i went to work for coca-cola in fort worth and it was a great job. It, it would be years in the ministry before I'd equal the income. And I love working for Coke. I always believe if you sell something, you should believe in the product. And boy, did I ever believe in Coca-Cola. <laughs> now in those days, uh, and, and we, were, we were in the distribution end of things. We, we weren't in the fountain sales. But in those days, Coca-Cola bottling was uh, divided in two categories. There were the guys who drove the trucks, and delivered the product. It was a hard, sweaty, brutal job. And so they, they constantly were running. These guys didn't eat lunch because they were paid as, uh, depending upon how many cases of product they sold. So it was a really, really tough job. But the second level were called salesmen. And the salesmen all had company cars. And most of the time, the salesmen had been with Coca-Cola for a long time. They had been driving a truck, but now they had moved up to this job where they would go around and they would take orders for products and they would especially work with convenience stores and grocery stores and uh there were 26 of them and frankly between you and me a lot of them were just looking for a cushy place to land um they had put in their hard time driving trucks and moving bottles Now, the job that I got was rather interesting. I got a job as a salesman, but I didn't have a route. My job was pulling the route of the salesman who was on vacation. There were 26 of them two weeks a year. That's how I had my job. And and it was a really difficult job because I didn't have a route. Every two weeks, I had a brand-new route. Ultimately, I would serve every Coca-Cola outlet, bottling outlet for Tarrant County. That means every two weeks I would come in, get a new route book, I would get a different company car, and I would go out to my route. And so I was terrified and way in over my head, as you can imagine. When I went to work for Coca-Cola, the salesmen would cluster around me, and they would want to tell me about the um, supermarket managers who were troubled. It'd be, oh, you, don't, oh, yeah, you know what? The, the guy that has this piggly wiggly man, he's difficult to work with. And boy, the guy that manages this Winn-Dixie, he's, he's, a, he's a real problem. And so they just kind of warned me which managers to watch out for. And I was scared. But they were real clear on one thing. Universally, they said there's one manager who hates all vendors, and he especially hates Coca-Cola. He manages a, a Winn-Dixie. They told me where it was, and, it, and his name is not Johnny Fox, but that's pretty close. We'll just call him Johnny Fox. And they They said, oh, he just eats Coke people for breakfast. Well, believe it or not, it was one of the first supermarkets I had to call on. I didn't sleep the night before. So I walked into the Winn-Dixie that day, and I went to the manager's cage, and I was desperately hoping that I drew an assistant manager. No such luck. There he was, Johnny Fox, glaring, just like I was told he would. And I'm sure I stammered this out, but I, I said to him, hello, Mr. Fox, my name is Mark Hoover, and I'm going to be Coca-Cola for the next two weeks. And before I realized these words were out of my mouth, I said, what can I do to make your job easier? And I watched that glare melt. And he took me around his perfectly organized store. and show. Now, in those days, and then I'm in overtime, so I don't want to tell you too much of the whole story. I just want to teach you something that I learned early on. In those days, the holy grail for Coca-Cola salesmen was shelf space and floor space, where we built displays. Now, by the time that two weeks was over, he had expanded our shelf space. He had marked off a floor space. We basic, I basically doubled our sale of Coca-Cola in his store, and he called Coca-Cola and said, can I have this guy as my permanent rep? He turned me into a Coca-Cola legend in two weeks. <laughs> now, I want to tell you something. I didn't know nearly as much as the normal salesman. I was in way over my head. But God allowed me to experience great success there because I had to figure out how do I sync up my wish, my goal, which I wanted to make money, I wanted to be successful. How do I sync it up with a bigger purpose? And that's just how life works. For the person who can't sync up his dream with a bigger dream, you remember when we used to do this about 15 years ago? That is the official unbreakable term. If all you have is what you want to achieve in life, and you can't sync up with a bigger purpose, loser is the name. Fourth question, and I'm finished, and I'm out of time, so I can't belabor this, but we'll talk about it later. I don't think you can read Jesus' story without asking the question, is it possible that I buried some of my resources? I mean, is it possible that I've just given up on something? Maybe you, you were disappointed, maybe, maybe you were afraid, maybe someone broke your heart. Could be that it's just procrastination. Do you know that procrastination can be closet perfectionism? A lot of times we don't do our best because it's not perfect. Have I buried something? Well, guys, this is going to be a great series, and I just think it's so critical for all of us who want to be successful in life to realize that Jesus teaches us so much about this. But beyond that, it is critical for parents and grandparents. May God help us to learn these things in order that we can make a difference in God's world. Thank you very much for being here. We'll see you next weekend.